This program is presented by Birch Gold Group, the precious metal IRA specialists. Good morning. In today's headlines, storms in the southern U.S. leave a trail of destruction. At least three people are dead and multiple injured after tornadoes tore across Louisiana. A suspected stalker jumps on the hood of a car carrying Elon Musk's son X in Los Angeles. Meanwhile, the Twitter CEO says accounts revealing people's real-time location will face suspension. A student at the Berkeley College of Music in Boston arrested and charged with stalking. The Chinese citizen allegedly threatened to chop an activist's hand off for posting flyers calling for democracy in China and warned their family would soon be getting a visit from Chinese police. Climate activists cause further disruption to traffic in Germany and Italy. The activists say further protests will follow. Find out how the police are responding to the protests. And a woman who's bringing joy to thousands of foster kids by giving them one simple wish. And what she thinks not enough people know about foster care. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning, and I'm Evelyn Lee. Today's Thursday, December 15th, and the U.S. Senate yesterday voted unanimously to pass legislation that would ban the use of video sharing app TikTok on government phones and devices. This amid grown concerns that the app poses a cybersecurity risk and is a threat to national security. The No TikTok on Government Devices Act was first introduced by Senator Josh Hawley. But let's move on to some severe weather news from Louisiana. A destructive storm is wreaking havoc across the southeastern United States. At least three people were killed and multiple others injured in tornadoes in Louisiana over the last few days. The massive weather system is also delivering heavy snow and blizzard conditions in states further north. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg tells us more about the storm's trail of destruction. Severe weather in Louisiana left only debris where homes once stood in many places across the state. A young boy and his mother were killed when a tornado tore through Keithsville. Authorities searched for hours to find their bodies after their mobile home was swept away. The boy was found a half mile away on Tuesday. His mother was found dead under debris Wednesday morning in the early hours, one street away from where their home had been. A woman in Kelowna, west of New Orleans, was reported dead after a tornado destroyed her home. Eight others were injured. At least 20 people were taken to the hospital in the small town of Farmerville, near the border with Arkansas, some with critical injuries. She got alert, and the only thing we can hear, she said, a tornado, get down. And when we, by the time we got we landed on the floor, all we can hear was pow, pow. Numerous residents were forced to hide in their bathtubs and ride out the storm. We all grabbed each other, we jumped in the tub, and all we could do was just pray. Louisiana Governor John Bell Edwards declared a state of emergency Wednesday in response to the storms. The residents are very resilient people. I was able to speak to a few. Uh, very thankful that they were able to survive uh, what would, by all appearances, have been an unsurvivable um, uh, event uh, where, where these homes were just completely destroyed. The governor says aid is already flowing. The storm system knocked out power to more than 45,000 customers in Louisiana and more than 9,000 in Mississippi. An outpour of support from people of the community is on full display. 
It shows you that people love you. It shows you that people care. Because we have to have a heart of love. And this is just an example to show you that, that people do care. The Storm Prediction Center says more than 40 tornadoes were reported this week in Texas, Louisiana, Oklahoma, and Mississippi. Winter weather has been blanketing areas of Montana to the east coast. Blizzard warnings are in effect through parts of Nebraska, Minnesota, South Dakota, and Wyoming. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Elon Musk says a car carrying his two-year-old son X encountered a, quote, crazy stalker in L.A. He says the stalker blocked the car from moving and climbed on the hood. He also shared this video asking if anyone recognized the person or the car. I'm not. Yeah, for sure. Gotcha. What's her name? Musk also wrote that he is taking legal action against Sweeney and organizations who Musk says supported harm to his family. He tweeted that any account doxing the real-time location information of anyone will be suspended as it's a physical safety violation. Doxing refers to searching for and publishing private or identifying information about someone on the Internet, typically with malicious intent. Musk added that posting locations someone traveled to on a slightly delayed basis isn't a safety problem, and so it's okay. Meanwhile, Twitter has suspended an account that tracked the location of Musk's private jet. Jack Sweeney, a 20-year-old Florida college student, ran the at Elon Jet account. He used publicly available flight tracking information to build a Twitter bot that tweeted every time Musk's Gulfstream took off and landed at an airport. Sweeney also has dozens of other accounts that track the private flights of well-off Americans. These included Microsoft co-founder Bill Gates, Amazon's Jeff Bezos, and Meta's Mark Zuckerberg. Musk had previously said that an account following his plane was not being banned. And a video of a congressional oversight hearing with Representative Nancy Mace has gone viral. It has garnered over 3 million views on Twitter. It involves a tense exchange between Mace and transgender activist Alejandra Caraballo. Entity's Daniel Monahan has more. Thank you, Representative, for the opportunity to clarify and provide context to my tweets. I have the immense privilege of testifying before the House Committee on Oversight and Reform. That's what transgender activist Alejandra Caraballo tweeted on the morning of December 13th. The topic was ties between white supremacy and anti-LGBT extremism. At the hearing, Mace questioned six witnesses, including Caraballo, on whether rhetoric on social media was a problem and a threat to democracy. Ms. Caraballo? Yes. All responded in the affirmative. Mace followed that up with another question. Do you believe that rhetoric targeting officials with violence for carrying out their constitutional duties um, is a threat to democracy? All parties again concurred. Representative Mace then highlighted a tweet that Caraballo herself published in response to the U.S. Supreme Court overturning Roe versus Wade. The six justices who overturned Roe should never no peace again. It is our civic duty to accost them every time they're in public. They are pariahs. Since women don't have their rights, these justices should never have a peaceful moment in public again. Mace pointed out that the transgender activist's tweet was just a few weeks after the attempted attack on Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. That incident involved a 26-year-old man arrested outside Kavanaugh's house. 
The man told police he had planned to kill the justice who was at home with his family. He was armed with a pistol, ammunition, a knife, pepper spray, zip ties, a hammer, and a crowbar. Representative Mace then detailed her own experience with being accosted. I carry a gun everywhere I go when I am in my district and I'm at home because I know personally that rhetoric has consequences. Mace then referred to another Carabao tweet, claiming the Supreme Court was not a legitimate court and is an organ of the far right. So my last question today of Ms. Carabao, do you stand by these comments, this kind of rhetoric on social media, and do you believe it's a threat to democracy? I don't believe that's a correct uh, characterization of my tweeted, statements. Though. Did you not tweet that, that you thought that the Supreme Court justices should be accosted? Did what I'm saying is that that, that is no. not an accurate characterization of my statements. Representative Mace later tweeted, quote, If you're going to be a hypocrite who advocates for violence online, you probably shouldn't do it testifying in my committee. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. And a Chinese student attending the Berkeley College of Music in Boston was arrested on stalking charges yesterday. U.S. prosecutors say he threatened and harassed an activist for posting flowers supporting democracy in China. The 25-year-old student Xiao Lei Wu allegedly told the person he would chop their hands off if they posted more flyers. The activist who posted the flyers is a U.S. lawful permanent resident from China who has family there. The flyers said, stand with Chinese people, we want freedom and we want democracy. The criminal complaint says Wu demanded the flyers be torn down in a Berkeley-focused WeChat group whose 300-plus members included the activist. He wrote that he was reporting them to the public security agency in China and warned their family would soon be, in his words, greeted by them. Authorities say they believe Wu was referring to either China's Ministry of Public Security or the Ministry of State Security. Both agencies investigate political dissidents, including those who voice support for democracy. Wu also allegedly asked others in the chat group to help find out where the activists lived and doxed them by publicly posting their email address. He was arrested and released later in the day after appearing in federal court. The charge of stalking carries a sentence of up to five years in prison, three years of supervised release, and a fine of up to $250,000. And coming up, climate activists continue to obstruct traffic throughout Europe. Members of the Last Generation group threaten future disruptions after having their homes searched. What's behind their tactics? And clashes broke out in Brussels between soccer fans and police after France defeated Morocco in the World Cup semifinal. That and more after the break. Welcome back. Two activists of the climate group Last Generation blocked traffic on a road in central Munich Wednesday. It's the latest action from the group, which has caused disruption throughout Europe. Entities Cost Temenes brings us the details. Climate activists glued themselves to a busy road in central Munich on Wednesday. The action was underlined by the slogan, we'd rather drown in glue than in floods. Protests followed nationwide raids throughout Tuesday, which saw homes of members of the last generation group surged. Among other items, police confiscated cell phones, banners and laptops. This activist says that despite the raids on their homes, there will be further protest action. 
The raids on our homes are a clear intimidation tactic, and it's very clear that this will not work. What do they expect next, that we just stop what we are doing? Activists laid down a sign on the road reading what will happen on Tuesday, hinting at further protests to come. Police removed the activists from the road as traffic was mounting. The general consensus being applied by authorities is that it prohibits all traffic disruptions relating to climate protests unless specifically approved beforehand. Further disruption was caused in Venice when a small group of protesters blocked traffic on a bridge linking the lagoon city to the mainland. Last generation members are currently being investigated in Germany. The group is suspected of forming or supporting a criminal organization. They can potentially be prosecuted under Section 129 of the Criminal Code. The legislation, however, is controversial in Germany. Only around 5% of investigations conducted under Section 129 end up getting indicted. Cost MNS, NTD News. Climate activists are using a variety of methods to draw public attention, from throwing soup and black liquid on famous paintings to blocking roads and jet runways. Others glue their hands to stationary objects to make their statement. But the demonstrations don't always go as planned. Let's have a look. Two climate activists wearing orange safety vests interrupted a Beethoven violin performance at Hamburg's Elbphilharmonie concert hall last week. They climbed onto the stage and glued themselves to the conductor's lectern before lecturing the audience about global warming. There was one minor flaw in their plan. The lectern was removable. Boos turned to cheers as the stage manager promptly pulled the lectern with protesters attached off stage. The pair from the last generation protest movement were left in a back room outside the hall. The group is responsible for recently blocking traffic during rush hour in Germany, a runway in Berlin and spraying black paint at a building of the German Soccer Federation in Frankfurt. Supporters of the group also poured a black liquid on a painting in a museum in Vienna, Austria earlier this month. But they aren't the only group resorting to these tactics. In France and Italy, climate activists blocked entrances on both sides of the Mont Blanc tunnel, disrupting traffic for hours. In Paris, the same group blocked off the Champs-Élysées last week and dumped orange paint on a statue outside a museum. Another like-minded group wearing Santa Claus costumes blocked off a street in front of the French Environment Ministry. In Milan, Italy, paint was splashed on the entrance to the La Scala Opera House, and in Spain, a mall and Madrid received similar treatment. These tactics bear striking similarities to those of the American activist organizer Saul Alinsky. While the radical refused to affirmatively describe his political ideals, his systematic theories and methods include occupying an area to force operations to grind to a halt. His community organizing was a form of gradual revolution. Alinsky also taught subversion from within, and has influenced prominent political figures. Cost MNS, NTD News. French soccer supporters celebrated France's victory over Morocco in the World Cup semifinals yesterday. In Brussels, meanwhile, clashes broke out between France and Morocco supporters and the police. NTD's Cost MNS has more. France supporters poured into Paris's freezing Champs-Élysées Boulevard on Wednesday, celebrating the nation's semi-final win against Morocco. As the final whistle was blown, crowds gathered near the Arc de Triomphe. 
I was scared until the first goal, and then the first half was a bit tense with the free kicks. The second half was slightly better, but the rest of the match was complicated until we scored the second one, and that was a relief, but otherwise it was tense. Celebrations were mostly peaceful. Over in Brussels, however, things were not. Around 100 Morocco fans clashed with riot police after Morocco's 2-0 loss, eliminating Morocco's chance of becoming the first African nation to reach a World Cup final. Fans gathered near Brussels' South Station, throwing fireworks and other objects at police. They also set alight garbage bags and cardboard boxes. Police responded with water cannons and tear gas and detained several fans. But according to reports, the clashes were brief and caused no serious damage. France is now poised to become the first team to retain their World Cup title in 60 years on Sunday. Cost MNS, NTD News. Next, we speak to a woman who is bringing joy to thousands of foster kids by granting them one simple wish and what she wants people to know about foster care after the break. One simple wish, that's what Danielle Glido granted more than 20,000 foster kids last year alone, and she says that's just the beginning. It all started when she became a foster parent herself, and what she learned in that process just made her want to help out. Take a look. Well, one of the things that we found was most uh, shocking to us was that when children enter foster care, oftentimes they move many times before they find a place to really settle in. Um, and then they could be in those places for, you know, weeks or months before they're reunified or adopted. And in that time, there is so much loss that a child faces. It's not just the initial separation of leaving their home, but it's leaving their school, their friends, sometimes their siblings, their neighborhoods, their churches, everything that is familiar to them. And then a lot of control is taken away from them. They don't have the ability to choose the way that they spend their days or, you know, even things as simple as not knowing, you know, where do I put my toothbrush at night? And where do I wash the dishes? Do we put them in the dishwasher in this house? Do we eat dinner at the table? Do we eat dinner, you know, whenever we want? Want. all of these things are so traumatizing and you know when you're a kid you just want to be a kid and you're not thinking about having to make so many tiny decisions or you know not not feeling comfortable in a stranger's home so we really felt like the one of the best things we can do is give back a little piece of childhood so tell these kids that they have the opportunity to come to us and without judgment make a wish for something that would bring them happiness. And what we also found was this, this trauma and this discomfort and sadness and confusion didn't end when foster care ended. Many of the individuals who aged out of the system carried a lot of that with them. And so we extended our program to make sure that anyone who's ever been impacted by foster care can come to us, share a little bit about what they're wishing, what they need, what they're dreaming about, um, so we can help make it come true. And has there been a moment when you had, an, let's say, an especially strong feeling of gratefulness to be able to do what you're doing or, you know, a moment when you just thought that everything that you have been doing is absolutely worth it? I have that moment of gratitude every single day. We, we receive hundreds of wishes from children and young adults from around the country. And when we receive a response from them, 
Um, you know, a great example is a, a person wrote to me a couple of days ago and said she was able to deliver a wish to a child and it was for a bunk bed. And she said, this child looked at her like this was the most amazing thing that she ever got. She couldn't believe that this was hers. It was what she picked out, what she wanted. And the individual who delivered it was also in foster care. And she said to me, you know, thank you for creating this because back when I was in care, oftentimes it felt like I didn't matter. I didn't feel like anybody was listening to me. And being able to see this girl and see that she felt seen, she said helped her just as much. And for me, like, that's what this is all about. I mean, I want everyone to know that they matter, that what they want matters and that, you know, they are loved and things, I, I can't fix the, the situations they're in in life. And, and many of us can't, but we can encourage, we can continue to tell people there's hope. And I love that about One Simple Wish. And I am just so grateful that, you know, I get to get up every morning and I get to give back a little bit of hope. Mm, that's great. And any lessons that you learned while working with all these kids and young adults? I think that, you know, one of the things that I learned is most people want to help and all you really have to do is ask. You know, I, I think that sometimes we are afraid, no matter what it is, to say that we need help or to ask somebody to do something um, for fear they may say no. But I believe that most people are very kind and really do want to help others. And so I've learned to be more vocal about my own needs as well as the needs of the organization to, you know, when we need help, when we need more support, to just ask for it. And I've been pretty, uh, you know, like I said, I've been pretty pleasantly surprised that, that most people do want to help. And is there anything that you think people don't know enough about in terms of foster care or adoption? I think that, you know, one of the things that continues to really, um, that I really struggle with is the number of children who age out of the system. So these are individuals who were removed from their home, absolutely no fault of their own. They're raised in a system which is not a substitute for a family. And then when they turn 18 or turn 21, they're either right back where they were removed from or you know, pretty much out on their own with very limited resources. And I know that it can be, especially this time of year, fun and, and you know, cute to help children, little kids, buy them toys, make sure they have presents. But you know, these young adults, they still need us too. And you know, for me, opening One Simple Wishes program years ago to anyone of any age was so important because I don't think people realize how much you still need hope and love in your life, even though you're not a child anymore. And, and I would encourage people who come to our site to look for those big kid wishes. Hmm. Well, I think what you're doing for all those people is absolutely incredible. So thank you for sharing that today, Danielle Glito, with One Simple Wish. I appreciate it. Thank you. She said a lot of it actually is also about the message, you know, that they matter. They matter. And One Simple Wish now also launched a scholarship pro program, a resource forum for those aging out. And they're also planning another new program to support their educational and employment goals. Wow, thanks for covering this, Evelyn. You know, I had no idea this kind of program existed. It really does sound like a great use of resources. Yeah, I agree. And, and like she said, everybody actually wants to help. Most people, she says, wants to help. So yeah, I think that facilitates a lot of things. Well, we're ending the program here. Write us at goodmorning at ntd.com. If there's anything you'd like to share with us, thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.